0: Uh, so that'll be next week. So we'll take a break. Um, well, We'll finished Proverbs today. We'll have four weeks of Advent, and then we'll be in 1 Timothy um, from January through April. So this morning, we're finishing up Proverbs. We come to the very last chapter. It's beautiful. It's like bookends. Um, and so you get a picture of this book. Solomon puts it together, all the wisdom from all of the, the people before him and after him. Uh, not after him, before him, <laughs> and amongst his, amongst his reign. He brings together all the wisdom and he is giving it to his son who will rule uh, over a great nation and great wealth. And I, I feel like it's these bookends from the very beginning in verse 7 of chapter 1 where he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and fools despise wisdom and instruction to where we get to the end Of proverbs and it's like hey son you must fear the lord we get to the end and says what is a virtuous woman what is an excellent woman well she is one who's not maybe not beautiful not charming but one who loves the lord and fears the lord so um think of this book really as fatherly advice and i i absolutely connect with it uh because i was so concerned Who will my boys, especially, who will my boys end up with? And then my daughter came around. It was another story. Who is worthy to take the hand of my daughter? No man is worthy to take the hand of my daughter. And they were all afraid of it. I remember when Anna would bring a guy home, and I would sit there, and I would talk with him, and they'd look out the window like, is he going to cut the mustard? No, I don't think he's going to cut the mustard. Um, But I resonate with this. Solomon, a loving father to his son saying, here's all the wisdom that I can gather uh, to you. I called the sermon final exam because I think in many ways, when he brings the son to the end in chapter 31, it's like, in the end, son, uh, who you end up with is going to display. Did you heed the counsel of the Lord? And who she becomes and is is going to be partially a result of who she was when you met her and how you treated her in your covenant of marriage. So I play this uh, game on my phone. I play two games on my phone almost every day. I'm not proud of it. I just do it. And sometimes I find it's probably a lot of guys in their 50s that do this stuff. But uh, anyway, one is um, in the morning, I always do the wordscapes puzzle. Anybody play wordscapes? Don't start it. Okay. Uh, I always do the daily wordscapes puzzle. Now, because I'm Dutch, I never pay for the version, right? So if you pay like two bucks or three bucks, it's, I mean, it's a lot of money. You know, if you pay two or three bucks, you you skip all the advertisements. So when I get through with one puzzle, you have to watch these ridiculous advertisements. and And I'll usually put it down or I'll try to Fast forward to the next puzzle without watching it. Recently, though, and I can't understand the algorithm with this. I need to talk to Facebook or whoever's in charge of this because the algorithm doesn't make sense to me, and I'm embarrassed by it. Uh, recently, the, the the advertisement that comes up after I finish the daily puzzle is some extreme makeover game. Okay, and so it is. It's a old cartoon, but it's a lady covered with mud and and she's walking up to supposedly a good-looking guy by his car and the bubble says he's too hot for me (laughs) now i i have no desire to play that game just so you know and so i don't know why it comes up but i'm embarrassed if anyone sees me like do they think i'm playing i'm not i swear i'm not playing this game And, and, but it's this idea that, oh, no, I've seen someone. And as I look at that person and I look at myself, I do the math, right? That that's what our world is about. That's what finding the right person is about. He's too hot for me, so let me go back and uh, shave my legs and do whatever I have to do to my hair and change my outfit. And then I'll win the game by, by getting his attention. Um, so let me tell you, that's not what Proverbs teaches. That, that's, that's not it at all. But as we laugh, it is common in our culture. It is common to think of that. Relationships as, as though it is some business transaction. Relationships as if I am looking to get the best I can get and give the least I have to give. Or portraying who, who this person thinks that they want in order to win their affection. Um, And so what we have is this description, really, of Solomon saying, Son, this is the excellent wife. Son, this is the one who you should set your sights on. But it's not just video games, it's everywhere. Uh, Probably my favorite Shakespeare is Much Ado About Nothing, and my favorite character in there is Benedict. If you've ever seen that, um, Kenneth Branagh does a great version of this uh he has he has confirmed a bachelor like he can't believe it he i love it how he talks about claudio and he's like claudio he's such a fool you know he is just i've seen him in on the battlefield and he was so strong and now he has been he's been turned into and his face goes an oyster uh and so at, at one point benedict says okay there may be a chance there may be a chance that I would give my heart to a woman. And this is what he says. One woman is fair, means beautiful, yet I am well. Another is wise, yet I am well. Another virtuous, yet I am well. But till all graces be in one woman, one woman shall not come into my grace. Rich she shall be, that's certain. Wise, or I'll none virtuous, or I'll never cheapen her. Fair, or I'll never look on her. Mild, or come not near me. Noble, or not I for an angel of good discourse, an excellent musician, and her hair shall be. Anybody know this part? Of whatever color God chooses. (laughs) So. List all of these things that the woman that, that he would eventually be interested in would have all of these things, and everything is so laid out, but her hair, her color her hair can be whatever she wants. This is Solomon's version. Now, earlier in Proverbs, wisdom has been personified as a woman. And so when he talks to his son at the very beginning, he says, uh, the woman wisdom cries out in the streets. Um, and this is different. Okay? He's, not, he's not personifying wisdom as a woman. He's actually saying wife. It's, it's different. It's a different word. He's talking about a particular person. He's not just saying this is some great uh, theory. But son, this is an excellent Now, here's what's interesting. These words aren't penned by Solomon. Uh, They're from King Lemuel, but not just from King Lemuel. It's from King Lemuel's mother. So verse 1 of chapter 31 says, "...the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him." There's something also that's beautiful about uh, the Hebrew. All of these verses are an acrostic. So uh, we have seen this in some of the other proverbs that we've done that each letter that starts each phrase or each part of the poem ha- is, is a, a, it's, it's alphabetical according to the Hebrew alphabet. Now, it doesn't when we translate it to English, we don't get that. But it was intentional that he would be able to memorize this and that he would be able to think through what am I looking for? Who should I commit myself to? Proverbs 31, we'll pick up at verse 10. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates." grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will last forever. You may be seated. You know, this is the only place I can find in Scripture that were ever called to praise a person. When the disciples are praised, they say, don't do that, don't do that. Only God deserves praise. Um, this is a, an amazing text, and it brings for some sense of... Uh, Guilt and comparison. How can I measure up to this person? How can I find someone like this? Uh, It is a description of really the type, the most perfect spouse that Solomon could hope for his son. It's interesting, even um, the idea of every Hebrew consonant being used It's like he's saying, this is her from A to Z. (laughs) This is the trophy wife. Uh, This is the one for you. Um, The valorous wife, Erica Moore writes, uh, valor, excellence, um, in verse 10. The valorous wife is a heroic figure, she writes, used by God to do good for His people, just as the ancient judges and kings did good for God in their martial exploits. There's quite a bit to be said in that. It's not just a great thought. It's it's actually the structure. Uh, It corresponds to the Old Testament structure when a king would be praised. And it would say, here is his name, and here is what he did. And so in our text, that's really what we have. We have in this sense... Uh, Here is uh, her value, here is uh, the activities that she has done, and here is the praise that she is due. But before we get to that, I I want you to think about the issues of Scripture and culture. Um, What do Christians do with culture? There's really three ways we can look at culture as christian people we can look at scripture and we can read scripture in its enculturated version and we can say that that everything in the scriptures even the stuff that applies to cultural norms should be followed exactly as it is written and so everything that it says here, if I am to be the ideal wife, if I'm to find the ideal wife, well, then she has to know how to get flax and wool, how to spin it, how to make clothes, and she's got to make clothes. And in the midst of that, she also has to be one that goes out and purchases land. And, and in that land, she plants a vineyard, and, uh, and, and that vineyard, you know, and, and that, that's what she has to be. So, uh, And a lot of times churches get caught up in that because we want to stay true to the Scriptures. And we need to stay true to the Scriptures. But the Scriptures were written in a culture. They could have been written without culture at all. The Scriptures could have been just given to us as a list of rules. But there's a reason that it's in culture, because it enables us to interpret the Scriptures in light of our culture. Um, So the first way, get back to it, is that that the Scripture and its culture um, supersede whatever the current culture is. Uh, The second is that culture and tradition actually go over the Scriptures. And we, we follow the Scriptures unless it contradicts what we find in our culture. The third way is that Scripture gives guidance into how we relate with culture and tradition. And I I would say that that is the correct way. Uh, And we see it when the Old Testament is interpreted in the New Testament. So God, God in his wonder and splendor, writes his scriptures. Sometimes it's didactic. Sometimes it's just lists of do's and don'ts. And sometimes it's just bold theological statements. But the majority of it is actually narrative stories. How did the saints of old interact with what God had revealed them According to right and wrong, so it's interesting. You can read this and you can try to pull out the culture, and say, "Okay, well, we don't do that anymore, and women don't have to do this anymore," and and um, and so yeah, we, we we it doesn't really apply uh, in 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 many ways. But it's important for you to know that as this was written, it was countercultural. So when Solomon wrote. This or King Lemuel, his mother, taught it to him. Uh, it was countercultural to the Near East, the Near East writings. Right? The Near East, they, they praise women for their beauty. Uh, they praise them for their uh, <laughs> physical charms. In the Near East, they praise them for from an erotic point of view. And we see that in their artwork, don't we? Uh, the Hellenism of the Greeks preferred to praise uh, thoughts over deeds. And so all that's in here about all the things she does is countercultural to the culture that this was presented in. Think about Queen Vashti, right? What did the, what did the king say to her in Esther? He basically said, um, I, I, and then when he replaced her, what did he do? He, when he replaced her, what did he say? He says, I want you to search my whole kingdom... And I want you to bring me the prettiest girls from the whole kingdom. But before I see them, you all got to do some work on them. Right? I mean, that's what he says. Let them be given beauty treatments uh, and, and, and all of this work. Why? Because I'm the king. And if I'm the king, I should have the prettiest queen in all of my kingdoms. Right? And so what's written here is countercultural to what was going on. What's written here is countercultural to even Solomon's decisions. What's written here is countercultural to even David's decisions. It's a father looking back and saying, Son, if I had it to do over again, (laughs) son, if I could tell you one thing to look for, it is incorporated into this. Um, What kind of woman do we have listed here? Uh, Well, she is a take charge kind of woman, she makes profit. She's a teacher. She's a philanthropist. But it is all in line with the teaching of Proverbs, isn't it? She fears God. She puts God above everything. Trophy wife or Amazon wife. My title, final exam. Son, who will you end up with and how will that look? What type of man will you become to win the heart of this type of woman? Um, so here's here's the text before us uh charm is deceitful and again it's the mom telling her son and i, I find that this is such an important role uh, I, I told my sons different things about women i told my daughter different things about boys I said, your mom probably still thinks boys are pretty awesome. I know boys. We're not. <laughs> and Tammy warning her boys about women. There is this interesting thing that a gender knows the proclivities of a gender, knows the weaknesses of a gender. So as I talk to my boys, I'm like, I know what you're thinking. I understand it. Here are the warnings. And, um, and so we see that. Here, charm is deceitful, she tells her son. Beauty is vain. But well, they seem to be what brings praise and attraction, isn't it? It seems to be in our culture as it was back then. that charm and beauty are the most important thing. How do I look? How do people think I look? What do people think of me? And so she's saying, son, put all this above Snapchat, Instagram, Tinder, Phobe, Cosmo, muscle and fitness, whatever it is. For charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Son, here is the ideal woman. She is one who fears the Lord. She fears that more than being found unattractive or not charming. She fears and cares for the Lord. So I'm going to work through this quickly. I'm going to look at her value we're going to look at activities and her praise. Verses 10 to 12 talk about her value. Now, it's interesting that this woman that's described here uh, has a striking resemblance to Ruth. When you read about Ruth, what did she do? She was, um, well, she had been uh, uh, a Gentile, really, and brought in. Uh, and what does she immediately do? She takes care of her mother-in-law. She goes to the fields. Uh, you know, she she is you know, it's an example. And there's lots of women that are examples. In fact, I called my mom this week. My mom has advanced dementia. Remembers just a few things when I talk to her. Uh, When I say it's Marky boy, she perks up and she's like, oh, Marky boy. And then she starts talking and okay, what are you preaching on? I said, well, mom, I'm preaching on Proverbs 31. And I said to her, uh, "You know, the ideal wife." Proverbs thirty-one: "Mom, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord let her be praised." And my mom says, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> I'm like, "You're welcome." Uh, I've had examples of that in my own life. Now, again, what's set up here is like a setup of the Ten Commandments, like a setup of the Sermon on the Mount. This is this is a perfection setup. He's not saying, son, um, until someone fulfills all of these at 100%. No, but someone values these things. This is what is valued. This is what is important. It is not a shallow, weak. It is a strong, charactered woman. Uh, so her value, it's, I love this, in, in verse 10, uh, to all the families, the merchants, the city, the servants, she is more precious than jewels. Again, in that culture, a bride price. Can you imagine that, the bride price? Can you imagine a young man going to, to, to ask for a woman's hand? And the dad goes, well, you can have her for 14 cows. What can you give me for 12? Well, we've got her sister over here. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous isn't it? it's just a terrible evaluation. But in that culture, that's what it was. I remember as a kid reading the Old Testament, I told Dad, I'm going to go to Africa and I'm going to get a bunch of cows and I'll get the prettiest woman in all of Africa because I think they still do that, Dad. It's like, son, you're an idiot. Uh, her value in general, she says her value is far more precious than could be uh, meted out in jewels or money. And then to her husband, verses 11 and 12, what a wonderful thing. The heart of her husband, he trusts in her. Oh, my word, this is not some woman that gets run over by a strong man. This is a woman whose husband looks and says, honey, I'm thinking about doing this. Thinking about taking these steps. What do you think? I trust you. You know me. You know what I'm good at. You know what I'm weak in. I trust you. Her husband's heart trusts in her. They are spiritually connected in the relationship they share. Then her husband says he has no lack of gain. He knows he's got a good thing. He knows it. And he's thankful to God for her. Twelve, she does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Not temperamental, not superficial, not, not eye candy, but reliable, not fickle, discerning. Her husband has found her, and her husband and father in heaven and on earth have nurtured what is most important in her. And this is who they value, not just for superficial reasons, but for true eternal value. She is valued, and she knows it. It doesn't make her pompous, it makes her secure thankful. Her activities, verses 13 to 17, her activities. And it's important to know that the activities, again, they flow out of who she is, right? The Christian gospel tells us that we don't do things in order to receive God's grace and mercy. That undercuts the whole idea of grace. It undercuts the whole idea of mercy. We do things because... We've received mercy. We do things because of who we are. And so verses 13 and 19, it talks about her industry. She's willing to work with her hands. She brings good things to others. Uh, Here it says, food from afar provides for her household and those in her employ. Uh, She considers a field. She invests and she plants. She is active Lamp doesn't go out. That doesn't mean that she gets less sleep than everybody else, okay? She works early. Lamp doesn't go out was just an idiom. That's just a a figure of speech that just meant that her house doesn't suffer a lack. That all things inside of her control, she has managed them well. You always joke about Tammy this way, that it's just funny. I, I could tell you right now after church, you could say, Tammy, where are the AAA batteries in your house? And Tammy will say, it's in the, the tall white cupboard, it's the third shelf, there's three bins. The middle bin has AAA A batteries. It's that sense that this woman has thought and planned well. Managed it well. Sometimes I say, where is this? And she says, it's next door, grandma's house. <laughs> but I know between the two of them, we got everything covered. But, but that's the idea, her, her household shows no lack. Um, She has industry. She is not lazy and fickle. She puts her hands to what needs to be done and it blesses and helps all of those around her. She is socially aware. Verses twenty to twenty-seven. Here's what she does. She cares for the poor. So she opens her hands to the needy. She provides clothing for those who need clothing. Her husband is freed from some of the concerns in the household for leading the community for his job. It doesn't mean that the husband does nothing. It's not that, man. I got it made. I just sit in the I sit in the gates of the city. We have cigars and some beers. And um, hey, my wife just takes care of everything, you know. She rings a bell when supper's ready. No, it's not that at all. It Means each has their place. Each has their place. And uh, um, in a in a good marriage, which I think I have a good marriage, we always talk about our departments. They're not. They don't always line up with gender right? There's certain things that, that I, I feel more drawn to, There's certain things she feels more drawn to and gifted. Uh, we have this general communion and oversight over all these things, but um, that's what he's saying. The things that are entrusted to her, she does well, son. Um, uh, the merchants are supplied. And you know, I think even today, what, what would that look like today? And I'm kind of scared to give you examples because then you're going to think, well, Mark's going to judge us by this, but don't care what Mark thinks, all right? Some people find time to tutor, to train, to do child care, to help people learn how to read. I mean, it, it, her activities, they bless those around her. Doesn't mean that she doesn't enjoy them, doesn't mean she doesn't have hobbies and those kind of things, but the world is a better place because she exists and her husband sees it and he blesses her for it and her kids see it and they bless her for it and the community sees it and they bless her for it what does she say she becomes someone that's sought after verses 26 to 27 she teaches wisdom and kindness I hope that you've learned that from Proverbs, that those two things are intertwined. To be wise is to be kind. To be thankful is to be kind. And her words, verse 26 to 27, isn't this wonderful to think? Her words, people come to her, her words teach wisdom and kindness. And it says that in the positive way, and then he says in the negative way. She's not the one who eats the bread of idleness, She's not a a gossip or worried about worthless chatter, doesn't get embroiled in things that are not helpful. I mean, it causes us to read and to say, what do my activities betray about my priorities? What do my activities betray about my concerns and my values? Is my life just a life of mere talk? Or the things I believe associated with words also show up in deeds? This results, lastly, in verses 28 to 31, her praise. Her family, in verse 28 and 29. How wonderful. Her children. Verse 28. They rise up and they call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Husbands. Husbands. You praise your wife. You praise her in public. You find opportunity to be thankful to her in public. It's interesting. It's like this is quoted. Verse 29, what the husband says. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. What a wonderful thing for a person to hear from someone they have covenanted to and with. Many have done well, but you surpass them all. You know that um, I'm a big fan of Hamilton, and even the idea uh, that Hamilton is called Hamilton, right? It's called Hamilton after Alexander Hamilton, A-H. And even in some of the songs, it's A.H. is how he refers to himself. What I love about Hamilton is the end. Um, you, 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 it's almost like they trick you at the end, and you're like, it's not a, necessarily about Hamilton. It's about his wife. And how beautiful that ending is. I mean, the, the ending of Hamilton is just, it's just this glorious ending. Um, and, and they quote some of his actual letter, uh, this is what he wrote to Eliza Elizabeth on July 4th in 1804 before he went and uh, was killed in his duel. Uh, I'll just read this last, this last paragraph of it. The Consolations of Religion, My Beloved. By the way, Hamilton was a Presbyterian, so it's good to know. He really was. Uh, the Consolations of Religion, My Beloved can alone support you, and these you have a right to enjoy. Fly to the bosom of your God and be comforted. With my last idea, I shall cherish the sweet hope of meeting you in a better world, Adieu, best of wives and best of women embrace all my darling children for me A H was Eliza perfect. No. What happens after he dies? She doesn't mourn in her sorrow. She gets busy in activity, doesn't she? And she becomes one who starts orphanages and finds an outpouring of her gifts. As I said at the beginning, it's really this interesting bookend, isn't it? Son, if you're going to be wise, Fear the Lord. Son, as you fear the Lord, beware of who you befriend. Beware of the evil women and the stupid men. You know, he just recounts over and over again. And he talks about seeing the downfall of these young men. And, and son, fear the Lord. Study His word. What is an excellent wife? She's one who fears the Lord. And what does that result? It results in this litany of praise. Now again, our gospel is beautiful. It tells us that we, the church, are His bride. That we are the bride of Christ. That we are the one that He rescues, that He saves, that He gives Himself for. I read through this and it's not just, hey, this is what a woman's supposed to do and the husband's supposed to sit there smoking cigars in the city. No, it's who we are to be to our Savior who loves us and adores us we are more precious to Him than jewels. Because of this trust that He has put in us, because we are not treated as we have earned, but we are treated as Christ has earned, we are freed up to do these things for other people. We are freed up in all areas of our life to follow this example. I call it the final exam, as I really do believe that not just in choosing a spouse, But especially 5, 10, 20 years of marriage, what will they say? I talked to my mom and I talked to my dad and my dad said, we've been married 63 years. Like, no, you haven't, dad. He's like, yeah, I have. Nope, 65. Well, I can't remember dates. (laughs) Dad got taken in, you know, I was sharing with you all last week that we put him on hospice care. And dad got taken into the hospital. And um, you know what he was so concerned about? Mom. The whole time. He he, he got short-term memory loss. And he just kept calling. Where's mom? Who's with her? Who's taking care of her? He can't breathe. He can't go to the bathroom. He can't walk. Where's mom? And... um, Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of relationship that Solomon wants for his son. He wants, in a sense, at 63, 65 years of marriage, um, he wants us to, in a sense, be inconsolable, to care more about the other than ourselves. And little by little, as we trust in the grace of God, he will make it so. And you know, we see this not just here, but in the New Testament. We'll see it in First Timothy, when the uh, writer there says, hey, before you leave the churches that you've planted, make sure that these are the type of people that are in charge. And with elder, with deacon, each time, he says, and their wives also. What is he saying? Hey, Timothy, before you leave that church you've planted, appoint elders, appoint deacons. But you know how you can really know a man, Timothy? Look how he treats his wife. What is she going to say about him? How has he treated her? And then he goes on even boldly to say, if he can't manage his family, he has no business managing the affairs of the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you have provided in your word. Lord, it is a high calling to fulfill what is marked out here as the ideal, the excellent spouse. And yet, it's not just being a spouse, it is being a human being. Throughout this book, the Father has encouraged the Son value God above all, above your wealth, above your senses, your pleasures above the approval of men, above the approval of women, above the approval even of your own self, value God. Father, I believe that where we stand in redemptive history, that we have every reason to value you above all. As we partake of the bread and we drink the cup, we know that our value has been tied to the unity that we have with Christ that Christ meets and exceeds all of these things listed here as a picture of who he is in the flesh. As we take by faith the bread and the cup, we receive by faith what he has accomplished. And we hear by faith that you delight in us. Oh, Father, help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us that on the night He was betrayed, our Lord took bread, as I do, ministering in His name, and after He'd given thanks, He broke it. And He said to His disciples, "'This is My body,' It is broken for you. That supper was the Passover meal. The bread would have been unleavened bread, and that unleavened bread was to remind them that they left Egypt in a hurry. That they grabbed the dough before they would put yeast in it, and they left in a hurry when God rescued them from their captors. That meal was to remind them of who they were that they were people that were bought with a great price. That meal was also to remind them that God chose them not because they were strong. They were just a whole kingdom of slaves. Not because they were a loyal people. He said, you're a very stiff-necked. In fact, after he rescued them, at times they're like, let's go back to Egypt, we prefer slavery as opposed to freedom. It was to show them his abundant mercy and grace and to give all of us hope. So they would do that. Uh, once a year. Uh, In the New Testament, the church moved to doing it on the first day of the week as we do worship on Sunday rather than Saturday, the first day of the week to uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he told them, do this often. He, He didn't say, hey, by the way, next year around Passover time, when you do this, think of me. He said, no, do this often as you eat bread and as you drink wine. What is that? That is a pushback to Exodus. You're a people rescued from slavery, and every bit of your existence is dependent upon God. Every day, bread came down from heaven to feed you. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this list, and I think about how I have been as a husband, as a dad, as a father, um, and I always find things that are lacking in me. and and ways that I've failed my wife my church my family and every Sunday when we go through confession I look forward to this because here I'm going to be reminded it's not on my ability to keep these words it's on my Savior that I find my rest my hope and my trust and ladies if you're one of those ladies that's prone to compare yourself to other women I find some ladies often compare whatever they're weak at to some other woman who's great at it. They forget the 99 other things that they're absolutely wonderful at and focus on that one thing and feel guilt and shame or they feel less. Um, Stop looking at that. Look at your Savior. He's perfect. Men, this is a, a warning to us too in that same manner. Don't treat your wife or women as these objects of charm and beauty. But encourage them as sisters to love and fear the Lord above all else. Brothers and sisters, this table is for those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They confess their sins, the ones they know of, and they trust that all the ones they don't know of are covered as well. Our salvation isn't dependent upon us figuring out and remembering everything bad we've done. Our salvation is putting wholehearted faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't like to think of it as inviting Him in to our hearts. I like to think of it as us surrendering to Him. I give my life to you. You have your way with me. I trust that Christ has covered me. If that's your standing with God, then this table is for you. Brothers and sisters, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. 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 These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Mm -hmm. Feed on him in your heart. Daggum it, you're right. I forget that every time we do that, don't I? I know, we shouldn't move it around, David said. Yes, we do. We got that next slide up there, Ricky? we kept putting back our confession of faith because it has to deal with the lord's supper i have <laughs> i have in bold here don't forget confession of faith question 46 what's the lord's supper